Well, I'm uh, excited to uh, invite Tim Young, um, who's known to many of us, who uh, is the, uh, how do I introduce you, Tim? Tim is the uh, former um, pastor and church planter of Living Hope OPC, and Tim is going to be reading and preaching for us today. So, Tim. Tim Young, and it doesn't say that. I said, I've been demoted already. But I'm not, I'm no longer pastoring. In my neighborhood, I'd go for walks and people go, are you the preacher? You know, and I'd say, well, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, I heard you introduce the theme and you said, hashtag, what did you say, Blessed. I had hashtag stressed written down here. I'm going to read uh, for our scripture lesson. I'm going to read more than the one verse, just a couple verses ahead, and then we'll pray. Uh, if you watch my wife, you'll see she'll, she'll hold up a red card, and that means I'm either going down a rabbit hole, rabbit trail, or I'm losing my filter. Either. That's why I retired. First uh, Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, thirteen. I want to start at verse eleven. Paul's ending this second letter to a church he, he I guess you could say, he loved and hated. Uh, you know, hated in a good way. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, I haven't seen any holy kisses going on in the congregation, but uh, the American version of that is what? The, the handshake, right? The handshake. Uh, I, when I was saved in a Mennonite church, and we went to the Bowery Mission uh, twice a year, and uh, this was a new experience for me, uh, witnessing to all the alcoholics. And when we were done, there was a long line, and the director was standing up on a stool, and they were all greeting him. And I was in line, and I got up there. I was getting ready to greet him. And when I got to him, he leaned down and kissed me right on the lips. That was the first time I learned when the Mennonites read the Holy Kiss, they take it seriously, you know. And uh, so uh, it's, it's different ways to greet one another and show our love for one another. Uh, you know, we can do like the French or like the Americans, as reserved as we are. Uh, after the service, be shaking hands. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, you know, let everybody know you love them and uh, you're glad they're here. Okay, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. You tell us in your word that it is living. It's a two-edged sword. Uh, you tell us that it doesn't just judge our behavior, but the thoughts and intents of our heart, the motives behind our behavior. And we thank you for that, because as we take this time to sit under the preaching of your word, we ask that you might do just that in our lives, that you might encourage us deep down into our hearts, and that you might convict us, convict us of sin, encourage us of obedience, but most of all, comfort us in the fact that it is the perfection of Jesus' life and his sacrificial death which enable us to be here today, 
perfect in your sight. And we want to be practically more holy. So, Father, help us to, to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I hate to start off negative. Pastor was talking about how this wonderful theme we have, and then I throw that revelation uh, uh, passage on you. But uh, it, I did that for a reason. Uh, you know, something is missing in the church, especially the evangelical church in America. Something is missing. And uh, you might not have noticed it, um, and um, simply because it's not missing in this church, and typically in the PCA, I was in the OPC, tends not to be missing, but it's missing broadly in the evangelical church. You know, now what is it, and uh, why don't people miss it? You know, you sort of get used to it. I, I live in Emmaus, and they sent out a letter. Uh, as some of the Emmaus residents might remember getting it, and it was about the noise caused by the train in Emmaus. And it was a survey because people are complaining that in the middle of the night, the train's blowing its whistle and waking them up because there are these W signs before each intersection, and you know they can lay on that thing all the way through Emmaus. And so the survey asked, uh, how long have you been in Emmaus? Uh, does the whistle bother you? Does the are you willing to have us spend like millions of dollars to remedy this? You the results of the thing were put back and basically the people who have lived in Emmaus for a long time, I grew up in Emmaus, so I lived until I was 19 and went in the Navy and then we came back uh, in 90, so 30 some, I lived in Emmaus 50 some years. I said, no, we don't hear the trains. But the people who were newer, said, of course we hear the trains. When people visit us who never visit us sleep overnight, that first night you look at them, you look like they haven't slept a wink. We got used to it. It's like living in Morocco. There's a tribe that uh, uh, does Moroccan leather, and they have these pits in the ground with the leather and some type of uh, chemicals, and they get in and they tread it like wine. And it's said that they intermarry. And you know why they intermarry? because they smell so bad, nobody else can stand them, but they don't smell it. And isn't that the way it is? And so uh, the, the thing that is missing that people just don't notice anymore is what we call the benediction. The benediction. You know, what is it? Now, I grew up in the Catholic Church in the 50s before Vatican II, and the Mass in Emmaus was in Latin, and if it wasn't in Latin, it was in Slovak. And I remember Father Bacaric, we, every morning for seven years, we had to sit through a mass before we went to school. And it was tedious for our, us kids, kneeling there. And Father Bacaric would, uh, at the end of the mass, he would go up to the tabernacle and he would turn the key and the doors would open, gold doors, he'd put the chalice and the, and the host, the bread in there, he'd close it, it would close, and then he would turn around and he would and the service, et missa. You know, what that's where mass comes from. You're dismissed. But regularly, instead of doing that, he walked down like this. He got down to the bottom, he turned around, knelt down and said, blessed be God. And he groaned. Because that was called the benediction, and that was another 10, 15 minutes in church. And I, I grew up with that, and I had a very negative taste in my mouth about this. And when I got saved in the Mennonite church, well, I didn't have a benediction, it didn't bother me. I got invited to Linda's dad's church, and all of a sudden he had a benediction. And, I, you know, it, it was in my crawl. Uh, and so 
uh, I, had, I had a struggle with that in a way. Now, I was preaching through 2 Corinthians in my church, and I came to this last verse over time. Now, you're talking about, you know, I preached for 42 years, and by then it might have been 35 years I'd been preaching. Here's the benediction. I preached through every one of Paul's epistles, and you come to at the end of every one of them, how are you going to be creative? I used to think that about Christmas and Easter. You know, after 40 years of preaching on Christmas and Easter, how can you be fresh? I sort of felt bad about that till I heard R.C. Sproul say that once. How can you be fresh with the benediction? So I thought about the benediction and I prayed about it. I don't know, some of you might have seen me walking in Emmaus in those days with my clipboard and I would have my sermon and I'd be praying and saying, Lord, give me insight on this passage. And the Lord did. The Lord did. It's almost as if he said to me, and I don't, didn't believe I heard an audible voice, but it said, why don't you preach on not hearing God's malediction? Why don't you take the negative? You know, sometimes when you want to teach somebody about something, teach them the opposite. And that's how I would like to approach this, okay? The opposite of the benediction. Now, what, does, what is the benediction? What does it mean? Benediction. Any of the kids here studying Latin? We had homeschoolers in my church. They were smarter than me in a lot of this stuff, you know, and I used to ask. None of them knew who Jack Benny was, but the, the, that's how I started noticing that I was old. The illustrations nobody knew about. Praise the Lord, I used to be able to say, you know, go home and Google it. YouTube it. Does anybody know what Bene means, kids? No? Does anybody know? What? That's right, it means good. Benefit. Right? We think of, how about the seri? The the seri, what does it mean? It means to speak, like diction. You put them together and it means to speak well or to speak good. And so what the benediction is, is a good proclamation to the people. You know, the, the, the Greeks have a word for everything, right? They call it a eulogy. Uh, that's that's, when, that's at, at a person's funeral, and they say all that nice stuff about them, and half of it isn't true. You know, I, I've been through that uh, with all the funerals that I have done. But eulogy, E-U, good, logos, word, good word, okay? A good word. But what's a malediction? Does anybody know what mal means? Any kids here know what mal means in Latin? Bad, that's right. <laughs> Praise the Lord for the Gooba Warbins. <laughs> bad. A bad word. So we're going to look at it in that way. We'll look at the benediction pronounced in a way as this is what you're not going to get. You're not going to get God's malediction. You know, there are many, many uh, uh, benedictions in the Bible, as I said. Uh, you find them at the end of all the letters, for the most part. Does anybody know where the benediction originated? We talk about the Pauline benediction, but there's another name we put on it that talks about the origin of it. Anybody know? Found in the book of Numbers? Pastors can't answer this. The ironic benediction. 
the benediction God gives to Moses to give to Aaron, and this is what he says to him. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them. So you get a sense of this is, what, this is God's blessing on his people. That's what it's all about. And he says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So you shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And that's where it starts, and that's why it was carried on into the New Testament by the Reformers, saying that this is something that God wants us to do. We see Paul do it at the end of all his letters, and we will do it at the end of our worship service as we send people forth. I mean, Romans, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. 1 Corinthians 16, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The love of Christ be in you all. Galatians, the grace of our Lord be with your spirit. Ephesians, peace be to the brothers love and faith from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Philippians, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. First Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Second Thessalonians, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. Second Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless. I mean, you heard that many, many times. What a, ble- what a wonderful blessing that is. And, and the resurrection benediction from Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing through his sight. After you heard a sermon, that's a real challenge. Isn't it wonderful to hear the God of peace is going to give to you what you need to equip you to do everything good. And then the book of Revelation. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's all through the New Testament, isn't it? And you think at times we can just begin. I don't know if you've been. My wife and I have visited lots of churches. When we go on vacation, we get out of town. Because uh, if we don't get out of town, uh, we're going to get calls. You know, so-and-so's in the hospital. Well, I happen to be in California, you know. I got a call once we were at the shore, two funerals in Pittsburgh, and I had to drive home for them. And this is the, the life of a pastor. Uh, but we would try to get out of town. Uh, and uh, so uh, I lost my place here, just a minute. Uh, so uh, the benediction. To think about it negatively, it's, it's not a prayer. As I said, we traveled a lot, and typically services sort of end with a prayer, if that. A lot of times there's, there's music, very lively music, which we enjoy. We enjoy contemporary worship, but the song's over, and that's it. It's done. It's typical in what's going on in our culture. And, uh, you know, we're Presbyterians. We believe in the regulative principle. If you don't know what that is, look it up. But most evangelical churches don't. They don't see it like we do. And, and uh, you know, my approach to that has typically been, uh, John Murray once said, I can take Methodism from a Methodist when I'm in somebody else's church. I want to be gracious in terms of their convictions as long as they're not violating any clear teaching of Scripture. But it's not a prayer. It's not a sermon that a lot of times take the opportunity to re-preach your sermon in the benediction. Wishful thinking, you know, the NIV, and, and I use the NIV for like 15 years. 
I've used the New King James when I was in the Mennonite church. We had the King James. I've used every version in a sense. I think the ESV is a great version. The NIV was a good version. But I have to agree with the fact that when it deals with the benediction, it says, may, may the grace of Christ be with you. But if you look at the ESV, it says, the grace of Christ. And I think it's a difference. It's, it's pronouncing what God is doing rather than what we hope he's going to do. Because he's speaking to Christians. And he's promised to do this, and he's working in us in that way. And so, uh, so we're, we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, may the justice of the Lord Jesus Christ never be with you. May the hatred of God the Father never be with you all. And may the abandonment of the Holy Spirit never be upon you. How do you like to have that benediction every Sunday? But that, that benediction teaches us something, doesn't it? It teaches what we don't get. Okay, what we don't get. May the justice of the Lord Jesus Christ never be with you all. What would it like to receive the, to, to receive the justice? Of, you know, Jesus, meek and mild, I and mean, he's walking around with a sheep. that long hair, he looks like a surfer. How can he do anything bad? And that's the cultural concept of Jesus. In Acts 17, Jesus says this, Since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Paul preaches to the... the to the Greeks and he says there's a day coming and God's not going to just overlook sin again. He's going to deal with it with justice through Jesus. And then in the, in the book of Revelation in, in chapter 19, it speaks about how uh, I saw in heaven open before me a white horse and his rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has the name of him uh, that no one knows but himself, and he's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven follow him, riding on a white horse, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword to which strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Speaking of the Lord Jesus in that day of just, judgment and justice. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that the most terrifying words in the Bible are found in Revelation 6. The wrath of the Lamb. Did you ever see a lamb show any wrath? You know? It's such a contradictory statement. But here he is, the Lamb who died for our sins. The people who will reject him will experience his wrath. And it's pictured in the book of Revelation. This is not popular. I've done many funerals in 42 years, and I usually say, now for the bad news, and I read those, those psalms and that, that give this picture of judgment, and you would not believe how quiet it gets. I preached a sermon once, an old Slovak friend of mine's mother, and the old Slovaks were in the back, and I just remember, as I was reading that, they, they, I could see them, they were going, who's that? Who's it was sort of like, who does he think he is? You know? And I heard somebody go, it's Ernie Young's son. That's my mother. And, and the guy went, oh, you know, okay, you know. 
They don't want to hear it. But here it is, the wrath of the Lamb. But what are we told as Christians? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Notice the difference in this benediction and others. It's triune, which is different than some of them, but there's a difference in order than like the, the Great Commission. Some, I checked my last night around uh, midnight, I got out some of my commentaries and made sure I was correct again about this. Why is Jesus put first in this benediction? They say the gospel is about Christ and there's no love of God and there's no fellowship with the Holy Spirit if it weren't for the grace of Christ and what he's done for us. And he's put up front. Think of 1 Corinthians 1, the way it begins. The grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. We receive his grace. Now what is grace? I'll, I'll, I'll use an, uh, an R.C. Sproul syllogism for this. I remember the first time I heard him do this. Uh, it sort of startled me. He said, what is justice? Justice is getting what you deserve. That's what justice is. Don't ever ask God for justice. It's getting what you deserve. Lloyd-Jones, when he preached through Romans, he has a whole sermon on two words in the King James, which I think in the ESV are therefore the words, but now. And you hear him with his Welsh accent through the whole sermon, but now. He's putting that R on the end of it. But now, what's he saying? The first three chapters condemn everybody before God. But now, we're justified through the grace that is provided through Christ. He said, now we have mercy. What's mercy? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is what? Not getting what you deserve. But I remember Dr. Sproul saying, but we get more than mercy, we get grace. And what is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And we have to remember all three and what we get through crisis is what we don't deserve. If we get mercy, we're forgiven of our sins, we start from day one and we're still in trouble. But we get what we don't deserve. Second Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. When my wife and I were in the Primitive Methodist Church, these were coal mining, they had a coal mining history, they, you know, they were blue collar steel workers and uh, they, they paid us according to the economy and uh, it wasn't easy. But we never told our kids that we were poor, we told them we were rich. And, and we learned that from Linda's parents and the 45 years of his pastorate. We're rich because we are co-heirs with Jesus. May the hatred of God the Father never be with you. That's the second thing Paul's not saying. What would receiving the hatred of God the Father be like? You might say, wait a minute, my God's a God of love. I heard that one time on The View. One of their guests, very popular bachelor in New York City who actually wrote a book on marriage. He was divorced three times. <laughs> uh, I forget what his name was. Uh, anyway, they were talking about uh, you know, our culture, the gays, and, and the different people who are being persecuted. And he stopped and he said, my God 
would never do that because my God is a God of love. My God is a God of love. I might have mentioned this before. I, I preached there once before. Does anybody remember my sermon? Good, good, good. Uh, James Kennedy used to visit people, eat evangelism explosion, and, uh, you know, he would, uh, he would talk about God, and God is a God of, and they, oh, my God is a God of love, and, and uh, my God would never send anyone to hell. And he would say to them, you're right, your God would never send anybody to hell, because your God doesn't exist, you know. Takes a little guts in somebody else's living room, but he would say that. Think of Psalm 711. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's a scary, powerful statement, isn't it? God is angry with the wicked every day. Romans 9.13. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. How many times have you had to explain that verse, Pastor, to people who struggle with it? Somehow or other, it's unfair to hate Esau. And you say, we ought to wonder how we could love Jacob. You know? How could, not, how could God not save everybody? And we ought to ask, how could God save anybody? John Wesley once said, one of the proofs that the Bible is, is written by God and not by man is the picture it gives the world of us. We don't get good press in the Bible. We're a pretty, pretty sinful bunch. I don't know how many of you know who Harold Camping was. He went off the rails in the end as he predicted the end time several times and failed every time. But for years, his ministry was really so sound. He did a radio thing, hello, um, Harold Camping, what's your question? No, and, and he was really sound in a way in, in what, uh, what he had to say until he went off the rails. But he responded to that wonderful Campus Crusade track that says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. He put out a tract that said, Does God Love You? Which is a better tract? It's, it's hard, isn't it? But it's a better, it's a more truthful tract. And I'm not saying God didn't use the, the Campus Crusade tract, because I used it, and you've probably used it. They say God uses broken sticks. Um, you never know what God's going to use to save a person. In his marvelous way, we feel incompetent, but we go there trusting God and we goof up and the person comes to know the Lord. You know, John Gerstner told the story of one of the great revival preachers who preached in jail. He preached in jail and when he was done, he visited the prisoners and he found out one of them had been converted. So he visited him and he, and he said to them, what was it in my sermon that converted you? And he said, when, when I pictured, when you said that that, and I pictured myself in hell forever scratching on a board. And he said, what are you talking about? And he said, you said that I would be scratching on a board. He preached, you know, those, uh, those who scatter, scattereth abroad. It was the King James, where they scattereth abroad. And he thought he said scratches on a board. And the guy got saved. And I remember Dr. Gerster saying, that isn't even a verse in the Bible. <laughs> We want to know the scriptures and do the best we can, but God uses bent and broken sticks, and so we need to be confident as we share the gospel. And I, and I think that uh, uh, as we talk about God, we want to be accurate about who he is. We want to be accurate about what he's going to do. 
And sometimes it's hard to look someone in the face. A loving grandmother who just won't have Jesus. And you get the visitor in her dying days and you got to say to her, Grammy, you'll close your eyes and open them in hell. That's a hard thing to do. But we're called to do it. We're called to say to people, may the hatred of God the Father never be on you. But may the love of God be with you all. John 3.16, he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My wife and I, as I said, we always got out of town on vacation. We were in California one time, and we visited a church in Los Angeles. I was a home missionary then for the OPC, so we visited the home missions church there, uh, a guy named Pastor Lee. And they were meeting in this, like, Abyssinian Afghani church, and they owned this beautiful building, and they were renting space. And we went in, and, and they were having a dinner. They had, like, an ox on a spit. And the, the smell was so distracting during a service. I said, we're joining this church. I mean, the, the, the food was unbelievable. But I remember something that Pastor Lee said that really startled me about the love of God in Christ. You see, John 3.16 tells us he loves us because he hated the Son. When Jesus was on the cross, he was the most despicable thing in God's sight in the universe because our sin was on him. And Pastor Lee said this, the angels were being kept by the Father from rescuing Christ. Now, that's speculative theology, but it had an impact on me. I'd never thought of it that way. And then I remember something. As I, I, I was, my first church was like 30 minutes from the original Ligonier, and I spent a lot of time there. On Monday nights, R.C. Sproul had a Bible study, and I took a lot of my people to it. And when I moved here, they all left the Primitive Methodist Church and joined a PCA church. So my father-in-law used to say I was a church planter, but I wasn't planting for the denomination I was in, you know. Um, but uh, we all grew listening to him. And I remember he asked this one time. He asked this, what does God save us from? What does God save us from? Well, people answered. He saves us from sin. Or he saves us from Satan. Or he saves us from the world, right? The world, the flesh, the devil. He said, no. The Father saves us from the Father. I was shocked. I never sort of heard it that way. But that's what God is doing. He's saving us from his wrath and just judgment. And he does it by punishing his son in our place. So may the hatred of God never be with you, but may his love through his Son be with you. And lastly, may the abandonment of the Holy Spirit never be with you all. Now, you might not think about this as much, but, uh, you know, the charismatic movement came in in the 50s, the 60s, and I remember J.I. Packer spoke at Westminster, and I was going to, to reform the Episcopal Seminary in Philly. We came up to hear him speak, and he spoke in the charismatic movement, and he said, I believe God has raised up the charismatic movement to shape the churches concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I don't think he, he ever spoke again at Westminster. <laughs> they, they weren't happy. They weren't happy about that. But I think Packer was right, and uh, he had a lot of good things to say about it. Uh, 
you know, the, the Holy Spirit is sort of like uh, the train behind my house. You sort of don't think about him anymore. But we need to think about him. We need to think about what being abandoned by the Holy Spirit would be like. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that they are thrown out of the garden of God and all of God's provision into a world of cruelty and shortage and want. And then Genesis 6.3 says, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal and his days will be 120 years and then comes the flood. And God is beginning to abandon his creation. But one of the most fascinating incidents in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel 4. Now, don't you like, don't you hate when pastors don't give you a chance to get there? Now, I could have said Habakkuk, you know, you'd be looking for 15 minutes. <laughs> I, I once saw a chick track. Now, who remembers the chick tracks? Anybody at all? They were these little... One of them showed about not reading your Bible. And one of them showed this guy's in heaven, and he's, he's there. Oh, Habakkuk, is your book in the Bible? He's in heaven meeting Habakkuk, you know, because all of us relate to that, finding our way around the minor prophets. Uh, so I'm giving you some time here in 1 Samuel. See, this, that's a rabbit hole. Sorry about that. 1 Samuel 4. My wife's not doing her job. 1 Samuel 4, 17 and 18. Now, this is about the death of Eli. Remember the prophet in the Old Testament? He had two sons, great names. I'm waiting for somebody to name their child, Hophni or Phinehas. I haven't heard that yet. That was their names. They were wicked. If you remember the things they were doing, stealing the offerings, sleeping with women right in the temple. And Eli gets news that the Philistines had just done something evil. And, and it says, let me, let me get to it. Let's see. It says, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what's the uproar? And the man hurried and, and told Eli. And Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said, I am he that's come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? And he brought the news and said, Israel's fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great defeat among the people, and your two sons, also Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And then this is what it says. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. And he had judged Israel for 40 years. I have a question to ask you. This is the type of question I would get with the youth group, you know. Why did he fall when the ark was mentioned, but when it, not when his sons were mentioned? You wonder about that? Well, we're told in verses 21 and, uh, in, in 21, uh, and 22. It talks there about uh, 
the wives of these two sons. And they heard about it. And about the time of the death, the woman attending her said, don't be afraid, you've born a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit would withdraw himself from this church? You know, there, was that, there were these clever sayings that come out, like if the Holy Spirit left your church, would you know it within a couple of weeks? You know, like that's how dead you are. You imagine if the Holy Spirit just departed from us? We don't think about it. We get used to it. I, I like to tell people about the first time I went to a Christian meeting. I was invited to my, my I worked at Western Union. This buddy of mine got saved. He said, you've got to come to my church. So I went to his home for, a, for like a Bible study. And these are Mennonites, so they aren't allowed to use instruments in their church. So they were rebelling. The one guy had a guitar. The other guy had a wash tub with a stick and a rope. And they were playing these. We were singing. But you know, my buddy, that was the most powerful thing. It was like we were in a room full of electricity. And I'll never forget that. And I've regularly told my people, you invite somebody to church, and uh, if you don't realize the power there is when this many people of God are gathered, the Spirit is here, and when unbelievers come in among us, there's something going on that they don't understand. And let's not forget that. And if the Holy Spirit departs, did you ever go into a quote? My wife and I have been invited to liberal churches for different things. you ever go to them? Nobody talks about the Lord at all. And then you say something about the Lord and everybody gets quiet. Because there is no spirit. These are religious people. And I'm not saying that about everybody. There are believers in that church, but they're outnumbered. So, the comforter, the restrainer, the giver of fruit as opposed to the fruit of the flesh. That's what comes with him, and that's what goes if he leaves. So may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Why is the Holy Spirit in this benediction? I don't know if you know who John Wimber was, but he was the manager, one of the musicians, music arranger of the Righteous Brothers. Please, somebody remember the Righteous the other day we were at a family thing and my wife goes to them, you know, Tim's almost 80. And then, why did you say, why did you say that? You know? I don't want to hear that, you know. But the Righteous Brothers, famous group in the 60s, he gets saved in a Quaker church. Then he gets involved with Calvary Chapel, the original one, uh, with Greg Lowry, and then he is introduced to the charismatic movement and he starts the vineyard movement. And then he begins to teach about power gifts and power evangelism. And that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. He gives gifts for miracles and prophecy and all that. And, uh, you know, that, that movement comes and goes. But the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit does give those gifts. But it talks more about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants you to be encouraged. He says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ in Philippians 2, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit... If any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. He said, that's what the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is doing among you. Of course, he gives you gifts. But if you're getting carnal, those gifts are going to separate you. But the fellowship of the Holy Spirit should unite you. 1 John 4, 13. We know we live in him and he in us. 
because he's given us his spirit. When Linda and I visited here once in a while and started coming here, we, we start talking with you and we click right away. We know the Lord. We can talk. But when did you get saved? And, and we unite and bond right away. I, I told you, I have two brothers. I, I, I might meet one of you today for the first time and I know more about you in a sense than I do about my two brothers who don't know the Lord. And we mustn't forget that, this unity that we have, this fellowship with the Spirit, this conscience, this conscious comforting that we have through the Spirit with one another. Okay? You know the word for it? Koinonia was a big word in the 60s. Koinonia. And it was a big word in the Catholic Church in the 60s. When we were pastoring, planning a church in Scranton, one of our members was like six, what, how tall was he? Six, eight? Tall guy, his wife, and he had gone to the Bible college, and they ended up in our church, and they were just a wonderful family. Well, he worked in the supermarkets by getting new products in the supermarkets, and he met another guy that, that worked for another company, and he brought him to church. The guy was like 6'10". I mean, the guy was unbelievably tall. Well, he came to one of our Bible studies, and he began to share with us his, he had been in the seminary in Scranton studying to be a priest. He was in his last year, and he said in the class, they started talking about truth, because one of the problems is the Pope's infallible, and he said things in the past which just ain't true now, and he said they taught, taught them about temporary truth and historical truth and the different kinds of truth. He said he literally got up and walked out of class, and that was it. And he said, and then I've been searching ever since. He said, I spent my whole life in that church, and, you know. And he said, and I came here. He's sitting with like ten people, you know, in my house. And he said, they talk about koinonia, but this is koinonia. This is a fellowship of the Spirit that I've been looking for. Because we talked about Jesus and prayed to him like he's real, and, and, and uh, it blew me away. But quite frankly, I was getting a little discouraged, you know about our coldness, and it woke me up. It woke me up. Somebody once said this, the koinonia that we have in Christ is not a casual, superficial hanging out a la Friends. Now, you might remember the TV show Friends. I don't know if you do. They're all, always hanging out in a coffee shop. They're friends. They got this. He said, that's not what it's talking about. He's talking about something that goes deep, deep, deep. So, what do you think about when the benediction is pronounced? Have you gotten used to the train? I wonder if the Phillies are winning. Is your mind a blank? Are you thinking about lunch? The theme today is the power to bless, you know, and Pastor had to apologize for the scripture lesson. <laughs> But there is a power to bless, isn't there? I hope it came out. The benediction is just that. It's not just words. It's God's powerful blessing upon us. Think of the alternative. Think what you're delivered from when you hear the benediction, and that will help you. Because without Christ, your benediction is a malediction of justice and hatred and abandonment that awaits you. Now, I, 
don't know all of you well enough that pastors never... I, there was a cartoon in uh, Leadership Magazine that I actually used. Uh, I think it was Pastor Tony's, uh, one of his, the new pastor. I think I used it in, in the service uh, when we installed him. It's a cartoon where the pastor's in the pulpit and they're showing the congregation and he says, I think I've been here long enough to know you well. And the congregation, there are sheep and goats sit, sit all over the place, you know. And I'm thinking, I don't know you well enough to know who's the sheep and who's the goats, but the parable of the weeds, you know, growing among the, the tares, growing among the plants is just about that. And the lesson to that is don't try to perfectly pluck out those weeds because you'll typically be throwing out some good believers and keeping some phonies in the church. Well, I'm saying that because I, I want to say to you, uh, why are you here today? Did you come here to get that good feeling that you get, that catharsis? Did you come here to try and get God on your side? I don't know why you're here, but I'll say this. This is a divine appointment, and God has you here. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ who died for sinners, and you will be saved. You see, if not, it's not may, it's the justice of Christ, the hatred of God, the abandonment of the Holy Spirit that awaits you. Something is missing in the churches. Well, it's the benediction. And I am not so TR, you know, they call truly reformed, that I think that these evangelical churches without a benediction are going to hell. That's not true. They're good churches, godly people. I don't want to be, be that, uh, that type of person. But I think it's a real loss. But you want to talk about loss? Don't let it ever be said that something is missing in heaven. And it's you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that your word is clear. There's a mystery, there are passages that are difficult to understand, but what you want us to understand is there and it's clear. And so show each one of us where we are with the grace of Christ and your love and the fellowship of the Spirit. And we pray that you would bless us and anyone who's here who doesn't know Christ. May the today be the day when they cry out like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? In Jesus' name, amen.